We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. Well, I uh, am joined today by Royce White. Royce is, wow, probably one of the most unique and uh, uh, interesting individuals that I've had the opportunity to meet in this fight. He's also uh, on the Unity Project board. He is a former NBA star as well as current MMA fighter. So welcome, Royce. Thanks for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. Yeah. So your background is, is definitely not linear <laughs> by yeah. any means. Yeah. Tell me, let's, I guess let's start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what brought you. Well, maybe we should start with w- what you were doing in the NBA. I know that you had, um, you'd called some attention to the Uyghurs and what was happening to the Uyghurs in China, um, when you were an NBA player, correct? Um, no, that came a little bit later. That was uh, okay. that was 2020. Okay. Um, after the pandemic, the uh, the big three had a in the in the next the next time we had a season. Um, mm-hmm. That that's when then when when I talked about the Uyghurs. Um, my my original story with the NBA was that I was one of the few players to get drafted, mm-hmm. having spoken publicly about my struggles with anxiety um, prior to getting drafted. And because of that, um, there was huge questions during that draft cycle about mental health as a general topic, especially as it pertained to how the NBA community and specifically the NBA front office personnel viewed mental health as a, you know, as a, as a, as a character flaw or, or as a genuine medical condition. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to still make it through the draft process, even though I was projected skill, talent, and NBA readiness wise to be probably in the top five of my draft class, I dropped down to 16. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, I was just happy to make it to, to get drafted at all, because given the, the, given the narrative and the conversation around mental health during that time, as it pertained to my draft stock, um, I was I was under the impression that it was totally possible I wouldn't get drafted at all for talking mm-hmm. about my anxiety prior to the draft. And that kind of preempted me to, to really question um, the NBA as a microcosm of the overall global corporate community. And right. what 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 were the implications of a young person like myself? Uh, being expected almost to not be forthright about who I was, about the right. things, the things that I dealt with, the, the, uh, and not only the things that I dealt with uh, from a, from a victim, I need special treatment standpoint, but 
like the things that I had dealt with and triumphed, triumphed, right. you know, like sure. when I came into the league, it wasn't like I had uh, needed special accommodations or anything like that at right. Iowa state where I had played my, my college ball. I had just mm -hmm. come off of an all American level season, right. right. Where, where I was, you know, where I put up one of the best rebounding years in Iowa state university basketball history. And I, right. and I was the only player to lead my team in five major stat categories, which is another, uh, you know, almost impossible feat in its own, in its own right. Um, mm -hmm. So I had proven that I could be exceptionally um, successful, you know, be very successful and productive uh, with the anxiety that I had been, been talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, and then upon arrival in the NBA, I was kind of just expected to, to uh, shelf that part of my life. And that made me ask real questions about the overall culture of the NBA and, and what the media's role was and just the perception of athletes and, and the, and the, uh, the perception of health, right. And, and all of those things. Well, and what's interesting to me is this, how you're articulating it is that as though you were really expected to toe the line, right? Yeah. You had to get in there and you yeah. had to assimilate to whatever their edict was. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, what were it's they? completely paternalistic organization. And, and, you know, people don't see it when they watch from home, but there's a culture, there's a culture that is prominent from a young age for most of the athletes that make it to the NBA that says, um, this is the best possible opportunity you could possibly imagine as a human being in modern, in modern society and in modern life. So you must protect um, this opportunity at all costs. And most of the time that's going to mean that you operate as a, a somewhat drone-like being and, and say whatever it, you need to say or, or forego saying whatever it is that you feel you may need to say in order to, mm -hmm. to secure this, this opportunity and, and to, to protect it. Um, and, and that's what they were telling me. And I mean, so, so far as they even told me that directly, because wow. we got into all of these you know, back and forth behind closed doors about policy. And what was the mental health policy of the NBA? Not what was people's opinions or, you know, what did they hear about it or what, what person you knew that might share an issue with the same diagnostical name, what mm -hmm. policies were actually on the books around mental health. And when we went back and looked at the collective bargaining agreement, myself and my agent and my doctor, my family doctor, mm -hmm. um, even some of their doctors from the NBA side were shocked to realize there wasn't a single mention of mental health in the entire collective bargaining agreement. Wow. There was, there wasn't a single mention of mental health in the entire agreement. So that shot up red flags in my mind as a 21 year old. Cause now I'm sitting there going, doesn't seem like this is by accident, but mm -hmm. I'll play along. I mean, you know, in good faith, I'll play along. Maybe you missed it. You know, <laughs> maybe we missed one of the core components of overall health that that has been known for a long time. I mean, right. Um, you know, I'm a Christian. So so my belief in the spiritual is 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 very central to the way I view the world. But I'm not one of those people that that uh, presumes that the psychological is 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 insignificant. Right. Mm -hmm. I think there is something very, very significant about the human psychology, the human mind and the effect it has on our overall sure. health. So yeah, and we're seeing that. Yeah. So, so I asked the question, uh, you know, well, what are we going to do about this, this lack of policy? What can be done? Mm -hmm. And immediately I was, I was, you know, bombarded with, oh, we can't change the collective bargaining agreement. It's impossible. We'd have to get all the owners 
to to agree to it, to create any addendums, and and all these things were said behind closed doors, um, to where finally I just said, listen, if we can't if we can't create a new policy, um, well let's let's go in reverse. I said first I asked, well, can we create an addendum that would at least acknowledge that mental health is in the same realm with mm-hmm. the physical health policies that already exist? And uh, they said, no, we can't do that. Nobody would, nobody would agree to that. And their reasoning was because players will fake mental illness and still get paid. I mean, at least that's what they said. Now, you know, whether there were other, of course there were other motivations to not want to, to not want to submit that policy that I would figure out later, but um, at least on face value, they were willing to present themselves as though they they would forego any mental health consideration and policy based on monetary uh, monetary considerations alone, which I sure. took offensive. I took offense to from the outset. I'm like, huh? And so then I go, well, okay. If we can't put an addendum in that would create parity between mental health and physical health, um, how about we create a new mental health policy from scratch? And they were like, no, we can't do that. And so I'm, I'm to- like, was it just total resistance? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. From the top down. The only people that were open to it actually were the the doctors that were on their side of the of the deal. Right. The team doctor, the joint doctor between the players union and the league office um, Mm -hmm. and and the psychologist that the team had hired uh, that, that I played for the Houston Rockets. So all of those medical people were in agreement that that the league needed a policy and that one was possible but the the league just shut the door off completely mm-hmm. 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 wow you know it's interesting too i mean there's so many parallels to this and i, I actually just listened to um, a little piece of an interview from i think it's kyrie irving and he was talking about how he basically pushed aside a hundred million dollar in a four-year contract yeah. because of his belief, um, in, in the, the vaccine, and uh, taking a stand against these vaccine mandates. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's so unbelievable. And we should be hearing about those types of stories. We should be hearing about the story that you, you know, you just went through with the NBA. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a parallel and, and you can look at the, see, and here's my thing with the mental health conversation and topic. I, I sit in a very unique position um, because when I first started talking about mental health, people were completely ignoring it, mm-hmm. um, or neglecting it, you could say, and, and just didn't really take it serious. Now, in short order, the establishment has been able to weaponize the mental health topic and conversation in the opposite direction. And so, you know, I'm, I'm torn between uh, the mental health, the mental health that I know to be important and the mental health conversation that I know to be true and what the establishment wants to use um, to, to basically say all of the, all of our political ideology is inextricable from our mental health. So if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't accept our political ideology, then you are by right. default uh, uh, harming our, our mental health, which then harms our physical health. Well, you know, and so that that racket is is very clear to me. So I'm torn. But the parallels are that the NBA or any of these corporate institutions believe that they can, when they want to, um, make the rules up as they go, and that they don't have to be accountable to anybody who's looking on, especially whatever audience 
that they have a commercial relationship with. And that's what they did to me. And that's exactly what they tried to do to Kyrie Irving. Um, although he was, uh, he was already a bit more uh, proven and, and had a much bigger stake in the basketball community than I had coming straight out of college. Um, but if they could have, they would have, they would have completely, uh, they would have completely gotten rid of and clipped Kyrie Irving out for taking a stand against the vaccine. They sure. couldn't do it, but they, they would have, if they could have. Right. And I mean, talking about, um, just having these, um, agendas where they set the rules and, you know, everybody must, must willingly comply. Yeah. You look at what happened in this country in the last two and a half years. And I know, obviously you're a board member on the, at the unity project. And obviously yeah. this is what we do is take a look at this and take a stand against it. But I mean, look at this country in the last two and a half years, what has happened? You talk about mental health. Look at the pediatric population, right? In particular, the adolescent population. Um, you know, these kids have been locked out of schools for two and a half years. And I've said it before on this podcast, but the way I look at it is, you know, one of the things that you do to POWs, we, we see, uh, saw this in the Vietnam War. You take an individual, you put them in a box and you socially isolate them and that breaks the human spirit. So we did to the adolescent population what, was done to POWs in the Vietnam War. And it was done incredibly effective in this country, so much so that we have epidemic rates of depression and suicide. And I wonder what the path for recovery for the adolescent population is. I mean, I, we're, no doubt we're going to continue to see problems. I actually spoke to a high school counselor uh, about a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying that at the elementary school level, they are now going back and teaching basic cognitive skills to elementary school students because mm. of what's been, been done over the last two and a half years. Well, what, what's going on right now is a full, a full on uh, coup of, of, um, of the Westphalian system or the mm -hmm. Westphalian tradition or America, the American spirit, the, the the American dream, freedom as a concept. I mean, there's a there's a, a an outright coup taking place right before our very eyes. And what's hard for people to understand is that the coup has been the coup has been coming along for a while. This didn't just happen overnight. It's been building up post World War II, and I think it's it's very right to use the term New World Order, uh, not in some colloquial uh, you know hyperbolic <laughs> way but in a very historical based political way that the post-World War II democratic liberal order that was instituted by the, the remaining uh, powers, uh, the, the, the allied forces um, after Nazi Germany was defeated and, and after mm -hmm. Japan was, was defeated um, is what prevails today. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, the, the authoritarianism that has been wound up and coiled and wrapped in that agenda um, continues to evade the, the everyday average American citizen and the everyday average American person in the free world or the modern world from here to Beijing. Because our concept is something like, if we, if we don't submit to a, a global authoritarian governance, then we're bound to be victims of another Nazi Germany. And they're right. running that exact, they're actually running that exact narrative right now in the conflict with Russia, no matter where you they stand on, on the Russia versus Ukraine issue. But, but that is the, that is the running narrative. And it's a narrative that they've continually run against any national leader 
uh, mm-hmm. any nation's leader that didn't want to fall in line. Of course. Re- regardless of how you feel about those leaders as individual people and what they they had done in their life. And they're two separate issues. I mean, there's mm-hmm. who Saddam Hussein was in his life and all mm-hmm. of his evil doings. Uh, I, I don't know him personally, and I didn't live in Iraq, so I can't speak to what Saddam Hussein did on a daily basis. Um, but I would venture to believe that there were some heinous things that he was probably involved in. Uh, so too has come to be the, the the standard of anybody who rises to the top as a nas- uh, the leader of a nation. Um, I mean, we, we've almost set the deck that way, where if you rise up to be the leader of a nation, you were probably involved in some murky stuff. Uh, especially in the Middle East in the in the in the in the, the mid eighties and nineties. So, um, but 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 it's not about who Saddam Hussein was. It's not about who Muammar Gaddafi was, who uh, Anwar Sadat, or or uh, any they pick one. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It's not necessarily about who they were individually in their life. When we're discussing the overall trajectory to go from post World War II to a global governing uh, system or a global governing culture where we, we, we stand a very, um, we stand in a very dire situation now where we are sacrificing the kids for the adults, right? Mm-hmm. We're going back to a child sacrifice culture and an earth worshiping culture. That's um, right. and that's, that's pre Abrahamic that's pre, you know, that that's, that's pre the modern civilized world that we claim we're doing it in defense of, and it's happening right in front of us. And it's scary that the kids could get sacrificed. And, and there's so many cowardly gutless adults in our culture um, that people sat by and go, yeah, no, there's no problem. Just vaccinate all the kids. Makes sense. It's going to yeah, stop see. me from getting COVID. It's going to stop my, my, right. my 75 year old mother from getting COVID, which it didn't. And, it, and now Pfizer comes out today, or I think in the last few days, yeah. it goes, you know, the, the, the shot doesn't stop human to human transmission, but we were forced to, right. you know, we, we were forced to, uh, to act as we did uh-huh. because of the, the, the crisis. And, right, the uh, crisis, the state yeah, of emergency. We're always can, a crisis away. Yeah. We're always yeah. a crisis away from, you know, there's always a crisis around the corner. So that'll be the revolving door from now until sure. people grow some, some balls. You know, and it's funny because we were we were actually just talking about this before the podcast, uh, some of the team members here at Unity Project, and we were looking at that new Pfizer campaign. Have you seen this? The one that um, Target, it's, uh, they're working with Marvel Comics and they're targeting yeah. children. And I said, look, this is just an, yet again, another attempt from the from the pharmaceutical companies, from the government to circumvent the parents target children. And to your point, our adults were standing by and we're allowing it to happen. And I remember in the very beginning, I used to be so frustrated because this whole talk track of, well, you know, it's for the greater good. We got to get vaccinated or protect the, the elderly population. And I remember saying in the very beginning, what kind of a civilization is this? All of a sudden we now have, we put our children out in front. Isn't it supposed to be the opposite? We stand in front of our children. We're supposed to protect our children. And, uh, this is, it, it's funny because it seems like it's really the crux of, of this whole pandemic has, it's always revolved around this agenda to attack the children, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. and, and actually the two most vulnerable uh, parts of our population, the elderly population, and then of course the pediatric population. And, and I always said, look, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear um, if the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission and acquisition, right? What? 
this has nothing to do with public health and safety. And I saw something, and I'd love to get your your response to this. I saw something, it's going around, you may have seen it, it's going around uh, social media. There's a guy that's sitting in the emergency room. So he's physically sitting in a chair in the emergency room and he's got two police officers surrounding him. And they're telling him, you need to put on your mask or we're not gonna treat you. You're not gonna get the medical treatment. You need to put on your mask. And the guy says, I'm having an asthmatic attack. I can't breathe. And you want me to put a mask on. And the police officer responds and says, you don't need to put it over your nose and mouth. You just need to put it by your chin. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it doesn't shock me. It, no, it doesn't shock me. And, and right. you know, there was this there was this entire cohort of conservatives, let's say, who who uh, <laughs> who called into question, you know, because I ran as a as a as the America first candidate in my congressional district race this, this past, you know, couple of months. And, and I lost in a primary by a margin of 900 votes. Um, mm -hmm. But there were plenty of conservatives who called into question my participation in the George Floyd um, protests. And wow. uh, you know, they, they questioned my loyalty to the America first agenda or to the, the conservative movement because I participated. And I asked the question, I said, when I went to speak at different places in the community mm -hmm. and when I was on, uh, you know, national media, I asked the question, where were you? Mm -hmm. Where, where were you when George Floyd was killed? Right. Uh, you all were, you all let the government tell you to stay in your homes. That's right. <laughs> Let's not That's forget right. that, that the, that the George Floyd uprising was what broke the initial lockdown, mm -hmm. right? Because up until then people were locked down with, with That's panic. Right. Uh, and yeah. uncertainty and in and, and, and Minneapolis specifically, I guess you could make the argument that some of the protests that I that I helped lead um, broke the initial lockdown spell. Mm -hmm. and, and in retrospect, I didn't think about it like that at the time, uh, but <laughs> but I'm proud to have done that at the time. But and, and I say that only to, to reiterate um, the policing issue in this country isn't about black or white. It's about authority and it's about mm -hmm. the power of the state versus the power and value of your citizenship. And, right. and we've allowed the mainstream media to conflate race into sure. the situation and, and, and get people all cross uh, mm -hmm. wired about what the real battle is. And the battle is it really is a state authority versus uh, the rights of citizens. Right. And and yeah, it doesn't shock me that the police would uh, would bend over right. and follow marching orders the same way mm -hmm. the military would. Right. The military yeah. is a lot of lot of lot of mm -hmm. vets, a lot of armed so, you know, soldiers and people from the from the from our military had courage and said, you know what, I'm not doing this. And they refused mm -hmm. to take the shot and they took the consequences of doing so. And my hat goes off to them. But to the overwhelming uh, majority of what, what was it? 80% of military personnel that took the vaccine. Um, these are the people that are expected to defend our freedom, our That's constitutional right. freedom. I mean, right. we're at, we're, we're at war here domestically. So. Well, even within the military, I mean, there's so much happening right now, as far as, you know, this whole clearing of the, the, the upper echelon of the military and, and yeah. the, the leaders of the military and replacing them with, with uh, individuals that are willing to be more compliant and fall in line with, with what this agenda is. Yep. And it's, it's, it never ceases to shock me, but, you know, I think about that scenario and I also wonder where are the doctors, like you should have had a, the yeah. attending ER 
physician walk out and say, I'm sorry, but I'm going to treat this patient. That's in accordance to my Hippocratic oath, my ethics as a human being, as a medical professional. And of course, none of that happened. And it continues. I mean, it's it's shocking that it continues to happen, um, even though we're so far downstream right now of, of the pandemic. And um, you know, we know that the pan, the, the quote unquote pandemic was, is not something that's impacting society, but yet it still seems to be, be playing a role, but let's talk about your, you brought it up. So let's talk about your congressional run. If that's, yeah. if that's okay. Oh yeah, of course. Um, so- yeah, I ran against, you know, my plan was to run in, in CD five here, which is, uh, the Minneapolis. And, and let, let, before that, let me go back and, and exp- clarify some about the George Floyd mm-hmm. thing again. Um, <laughs> when I led these protests, and I, I guess this is linked to this question as well, because the reason I really ran was what I saw when I was out there in the, in the streets when the George Floyd thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because before that, I had been to myself. When I fought the NBA, I did it in complete isolation. So I know what it means for the establishment and the establishment media and all of the running dogs to try and, uh, let's say, gaslight uh, mm-hmm. a person into believing that they're crazy when they're really asking for or suggesting the most basic and logical thing. And mm-hmm. uh, my story back in 2013 um, is, a, is a microcosm of what the mainstream establishment has tried to do to all people who have called into question the last two years. Um, and so, you know, after the George Floyd thing, I, I went to the front line of, of, of the uprisings and I said, what are we doing at the police station? Why, why are you guys at the precinct? Uh, we're going to the Federal Reserve. Get behind me. Right. <laughs> you know, um, let, let's start at let's start at U.S. Bank Stadium. You know, how do you people actually believe that these mega arenas get built? I know everybody loves to go and cheer and disconnect from the world and their issues and have a beer and get lost in the fandom. But how do you think these arenas actually get built? Who do you think builds these arenas? Mm-hmm. Who is it that you when you say the whole system is guilty, a uh, young white liberal woman with the purple hair or a young black man <laughs> who works at the barbershop or, you know, whoever it is, I'm not I'm not right. picking out anybody in particular. Um, although the Marxists and the and the and the postmodernists and and the the liberal yuppies seem to have a, a certain character type, but they're expanding at a rapid rate. Um, mm-hmm. Who do you when you say the whole system is guilty? Who do you mean exactly? Mm-hmm. Like wh- who is that system? And and so you know when when I led those protests, I tried to emphasize um, the prevalence of a corporatocracy, and that yes. all of these institutions are linked. And that's not a conspiracy. I mean, if you take the most, one of the oldest sayings that we have in our culture, follow the money. And I don't mean to say it to be cliche, but if you follow the money, you will find the culprits that that you mean to indict and rightfully indict. But we can't be selective. And when I saw people being selective after the George Floyd thing from a grassroots perspective, then I started to question what players were at work to that that had helped disseminate that that narrative like for example why why was it that people were so ready to um throw down the mask when it came to to marching for george floyd and you had people out there yelling in the street and you know coming close to close contact hugging each other kissing each other crying with each other and then you know i look online and the same people are saying if you don't wear a mask you're a you're a a, murderer you're a murderer 
you know, and 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 then I, it, it and it's not that I didn't know because I come I came from within the NBA, which is as big a media institution as there is in our country and in the world. I understood it, but I did not know how brainwashed they had um, uh, your average American citizen until I was in the in the heart of this uprising, and then I realized that people's brains are completely incoherently scattered across mm -hmm. this panoply of issues that they get headlines from. And I try to bring mm -hmm. some, some clarity to it. Um, and, and, and then once I got really deep in, I saw the political go-betweens. I saw mm -hmm. the Keith Ellison's. I saw the Ilhan Omar's for what they were. I saw the Governor Tim Waltz's, who I wrote a letter to in the heart of the pandemic, in the heart of the George Floyd issue, and said, you know, uh, the grandiosity of the federal government is actually undermining the meaning of, 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 uh, of community. Right. <laughs> so, so what, what is a state governor's role in actually protecting individual state citizens from this, this wave of, of, uh, of federal government and, uh, no response, no response, you know, no response from governor Waltz, but had I come out as an LGBTQ, uh, transgender woman, and, mm -hmm. and, and wanted, and it had been an opportunity for Governor Waltz to show his uh, uh, LGBTQ demographic that he supports a black man who wanted to become a woman, he would have responded to my letter. He would, have, he, he would have shown up in public at the podium and shook my hand and took pictures. And so that, that I just couldn't stand for. And I was like, I gotta run for office. Uh, it, from now until the day I die, doesn't matter if I win or lose, I gotta get involved and, and run for office. So who, so who did you end up running against? Uh, I ran against Cicely Davis in a Republican okay. primary and just uh -huh. to show people how this works. And I just, you know, I hope this is informative and educational for people because, absolutely, you know, I don't mean it to be political, but we live in a hyper political time. Right. And and mm -hmm. it's not and I'm not saying Republican or Democrat. That's not that's not the issue. The issue really is globalist versus nationalist and, and authoritarian mm -hmm. versus citizen based free societies. Um, and so uh, just to show you how this works, Cicely Davis is really backed and funded by the same exact people who back and fund Ilhan Omar. Mm -hmm. I mean, on a technical level. So uh -huh. when, when people, when you hear people talk about a uniparty, um, the, the two parties, the, the corrupt two party system, I just experienced it firsthand. Like I actually know the people behind closed doors who fund and back and strategize for both, for both, um, candidates and you know my my opponent raised a million dollars she got a like six seven month head start on me but when she mm -hmm. first popped out she was able to raise a million something dollars because she was the Incredible. black woman who was claiming to be uh, uh you know who, who draped herself in donald trump who was gonna mm -hmm. fight ilhan omar and to low information voters they they threw the first dollar behind her because of the because of the caricature or mm -hmm. the narrative that has been built about Ilhan. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've built Ilhan up as such a, it's like, it's like this, it's like this play on narrative back and forth teeter totter between fundraisers of the party. And sure. so when I got into the race, for example, um, I had these bundlers come to me. This was probably the most gross thing I experienced during this entire process. I had these third party fundraising bundlers come to me and say, mm -hmm. we can go out and raise you millions of dollars because your opponent's Ilhan Omar and people really strongly have strong feelings about Ilhan Omar. Um, we could, we could raise you, you know, maybe 15 to $20 million, but the split is 1585. And I go, 
hmm, okay, you know, 15% for you guys, that sounds like a pretty good handler middleman fee. No, it was 1585 for them. No kidding. Wow. And so that what I so came corrupt. To, what I came so to know so is corrupt. that this is this isn't just in my case with a high profile race like a former NBA basketball player turned uh, America first nationalist populist versus the, the 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 darling of the far left progressive caucus. Uh, yeah. This is the, the the normal. This is the normal practice across the entire political spectrum, uh-huh. right? And and so you know the Republicans, the Republican Party, and their third party fundraisers have been doing this for a long time, where they take a candidate, and they they send you emails and, and physical mail and tell you to donate, and off of a dollar they're taking eighty five cents and putting it in their pocket. Yeah, and I told so them I'm not. I'm not gonna, I told them I'm not going to do it. I said, there is not a, there is not a chance. There is not a chance that I would allow you to use my name to steal 85 cents on the dollar from the American people in the middle of a, of a national crisis. Um, and I never, and I never actually did end up getting a third party fundraiser because of that. Um, so in the, in, in money, they've, again, they've set up a system where money has a huge role in, in the low information voter and how they turn out at the at the polls on on election day. Mm-hmm. So we have layer upon layer of of uh, of corruption that has to be peeled away. And you just have to start with telling the truth. Right. Sure. And hopefully me telling the truth here about this will make people rethink how they participate um, mm-hmm. as American citizens. So wow. Wow, that's incredible. And and ultimately, um, you it sounds like you ran a pretty close race. Yeah, close. What are your thoughts on uh, what's happening with the election system? You think that had an well, impact? I think I, I I think that the I think we have to be ever cognizant about the overall integrity of our elections. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm I'm not well enough versed or an expert enough on how um, the entire voter system works to to say with any certainty what has happened. In any past election, all I can say with some certainty or with a lot of certainty is that it's very peculiar that in 2016, Mm -hmm. um, the Democrats were completely willing to say that Russia was able to influence our election. And then four years later, when Donald Trump wins, they say, uh, I mean, when, you know, four years later, when Joe Biden wins, they say there's this is the most secure election that we've had. There's no (laughs) way that the election could have been tampered with. And, you know, so so I think we have to be because here's the deal. If you if you live in what people perceive to be a democracy, which we're not, we're a constitutional republic, we practice mm-hmm. democracy, we're, we have a democratic process. But even so, if you if you have what people presume to be a democracy and you can't have fair elections, the inevitable outcome is violence. That's right. And so you have to you have to consider that people people who want to bring violence about understand that the subversion of elections can do that is is a pathway Mm -hmm. to that and may be exercising that right now and we always have to be worried about that so um i think the election integrity is is a huge issue that needs to be sorted out um i i i i also worry about um the pandemic resurging you know i saw Mm -hmm. in the news a few days back that that there's a projection that an entire new wave of covid will COVID will come again. Um, mm-hmm. And this time it'll be worse. And I mean, there's, there's just so much to, to think about and consider. All I can say right. is that people, uh, people need to go out and, and um, do their best to 
act as citizens of this country. First, they need to look in the mirror and, and really evaluate what they believe being an American citizen means. Mm -hmm. um, and then ask themselves what the value of their citizenship is, what it was and what it has come to be. And, and let that inform how they vote, right? Do you want to have more freedom? This was another thing that got to me with the George Floyd thing. If you guys are saying that the entire system is racist, riddled with white supremacy, right? The entire thing is a racist, white, patriarchal system. Why are you voting for a party that's going to give non-never-ending non, uh, uh, expansive power to the government? Right. I mean, it, it's just it's just incongruent in every in every manner. Um, but but they're not the problem. The problem are the people who are on the fence, who think that they mm -hmm. can afford to stay out of the fight, who think they can That's afford right. to not get involved, who think if they if they keep their head down long enough and they just live their life, uh, then then everything will be OK for them. And it doesn't work that way. And the pandemic proved that pretty soon. Um, you know, just as they want to push uh, LGBTQ theory on your kids in school, they're going to mandate like they did that your kid gets vaccinated. Um, and who knows next, you know, it'll be monkeypox, it'll be Ebola, it'll be some new strain of, of bird flu or H1N1 or, you know, who knows. Um, but well, I mean, because make no mistake about it, the mechanisms by which this country has been led down this path are very much still in place and yep. very much still being used. I mean, in California, we're still technically under a state of emergency. The governor continues to extend the state of emergency um, at, at a federal level. I mean, you, you've heard the debate. I know um, Biden botched it and said that he doesn't believe that he believes the pandemic is over. And then, of course, they came right back out and corrected his statement because they know that if we're if we're not under a state of emergency, then every one of these vaccines needs to be pulled off the market because they're still under an emergency use authorization. Yep. But 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 more importantly, I think the disturbing part of that is, you know, we still have the let the, the pieces of legislature um, at a federal level, at a state level that exist, and I'm and I'm talking about the Prep Act that has been the framework that has allowed this country to be led down the path that it has and you know do things like locking the country down uh, yeah. making kids get masked in schools which i found always found to be interesting that in california you know the governor ended the the masking mandate but extended it for, for school age children so you can go out and, and engage in mainstream society as an adult and not wear a mask, but, but your children has to have to wear a mask. And, and at the time, I mean, there was pretty heavy scientific data that showed that children were not vectors of transmission, but yet we're still subjecting them to this form of compliance. Yeah. And of course, it's all by design. Um, and, and, and to your point, I mean, I think it's very scary. These people who are sitting on the sidelines with their head in the sand or or maybe their head's not in the sand. Maybe they they know, but they're just unwilling to uh, get involved. At some point, if we continue down this path, people aren't going to have a choice. You're well, you're going no, to have well, to make a decision. Well, I mean, we hope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. we 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 would hope we would get to a place. But we we got to think. And and this and this is for all my Jewish brothers and sisters out there that that still have the cultural and genetic memory of the Holocaust. Um, many people. I mean, they, the, 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 the murder happened at the camps, mm -hmm. the, the murder, the murder happened in the camps. The murder didn't happen in the streets of the, of the, right. of the Jewish ghettos, right? right. The fight did, the fight didn't happen there. It happened in, in, you know, behind the, the closed doors and the lies right. that were told to round them up. Um, right. And, and so that's a scary, same thing with the gulags, you know, mm -hmm. in Russia. 
Um, same thing with the with the camps with Maoist China. Um, mm -hmm. So you know that that's a concerning thing when you when you look at it historically because you know maybe we don't come to a place where people actually get off of the the tap and and that you know that, so that, that that's the that's the proposition that that's before us for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and and I don't know if it's people's head is in the sand you know so much as you know I don't know if people are hiding out of cowardice so much as they've just accepted that um the material high or the the, yeah, the they're the, comfortable the high from the distraction is so good right Look, i mean we've the, never the, in human history had this quality of yeah. life as as human beings never i mean you look at historically you look at uh whether it was like you know, 1800s, you look at the medieval times, you, you name it, even people who are in places of royalty or, or extreme power in civilizations, they did not live as good as someone who would be even, you know, the, the probably lowest economic, um, socioeconomic rung in society today. Of course, we, we as human reliable beings, reliable water, you know, yes. reliable sanitary, uh, bathroom conditions, um, mm -hmm. stable shelter that wasn't, that wasn't in jeopardy from weather conditions. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things and a lot of improvements technologically that we should be thankful for, but ultimately the common thread across the, the entire, uh, you know, trajectory of time is that the, uh, the lack of faith or the lack mm -hmm. of, yeah, let's just say the lack of faith, uh, in a higher authority and value system always preceded, um, mm -hmm people's people's being duped by the the power structure and mm -hmm. it's no different now i mean you if you look at what what scares me the most is really social media um and just the amount not just the amount of time people spend on it but what gets the most attention on it mm -hmm. right? right i would have no and, problem and how they feel i would have no problem with people spending all day on social media if they were if they were discussing and thinking about first principles or, 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 um, you know, the fundamental framework of the human condition or psychology or faith propositions or any of those things, but they're watching people eat hot dogs and they're watching girls get right. naked and they're watching other, they got kids right. watching kids play video games. I mean, it's, it's out of but, control. And, and not only that, it, it doesn't even lend itself to being something that would be kind of this, this form of, of discussion and debate. Right. It's, it's a very myopic system where you yeah. can say, okay, I like this topic and I'm going to set my filter. So I only see this topic. So then that <laughs> becomes my reality. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation yeah. with a young person um, recently who their, their particular family did not allow her to engage in social media. She finds herself at an age now where she's almost 18 and she says, I'm going to post a picture for the first time. Mm -hmm. And my question to her was, you know, up to this point, you've existed and your family's done a pretty good job of, of you know, teaching you that social media is, is not reality. Mm -hmm. um, tell me why. The question, the question I asked was, why? What do you hope to gain from posting that picture? And I said, if you, you don't even have to answer me, take that, take that question and think about it for, for a while. But, you know, of course, what I was trying to do was, was hopefully see whether this, this uh, young lady was able to come to the understanding that like, my question was why, what do you hope to gain? Meaning, yeah. are you looking for validation from people that you don't know, that you don't actually have relationships with? 
Um, and that's, unfortunately, that's the society that, that we now live in. Oh, no doubt. No, I mean, and of course, she's looking for validation. And of course, all of us are looking for mm-hmm. some validation. It's a validation that used to be considered only important between um, or in, in the ultimate sense between you and the creator, right? Is that mm-hmm. only the only God can judge you only God can right. can fulfill you. Um, right. And that's something that's been really lost on us culturally. And, and we've created all these cultural narratives about how Christianity or any faith is just some right. symbol of patriarchal corruption, tyranny mm-hmm. and, and white supremacy. So that that's one um, issue. But, you know, the, the technology piece, I think, more practically and fundamentally is to isolate people. So it's much easier to control mm-hmm. um, the possibility of revolt. And sure, so, we've you know, lost we, community. We've lost our sense of community. I, I listened to this, this, and, yeah. and I'd love to get your reaction to this or input, but yeah. there's a statistic that said something like, and, 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 you know, I'm sure I'm not getting the numbers exactly right, but something to the effect of, you know, they say that 60 or 70% of people going into the pandemic, not during, but going into the pandemic reported that they were extremely lonely. So there's this total breakdown of community, mm-hmm. total breakdown of family. And now to your point, you know, you've, you've isolated people and th- now they're using technology as a form of um, social interaction and validation. And that's exactly th- that right there is the recipe for um, the perfect way to control a certain population. I mean, it's 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 almost it's 1984 to boot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's almost in it, people you hear people say this all the time and people just kind of pass over and it, it becomes cliche. But mm-hmm. at a point, the truth becomes so, so cliche that people ignore it. Uh, and you just kind of sit back and chuckle and go, you know, how do we how do we not see this? Right. Is yes, the, the isolation didn't come with the pandemic. The isolation came with the advent of social media and the right. loss of physical community. And mm-hmm. then at the perfect and it and it had a growth model that was insane. I mean, the yeah. growth model of social media from a from a human from a historical human standpoint is probably the single biggest, most widespread growth model of any of any human invention in history. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it it made the it made the written press look like you know yep. look like a, yeah. a, a, a a you know a, a, a drooling toddler. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, think about that. So, when was do you, you're you may be too young. I don't know. Do you remember MySpace? I never used yeah. it because I'm. Yeah, I, I remember I actually, my MySpace. Yeah, I, I had one. I, per, I personally don't. The only the only form of social media I've ever engaged in has been LinkedIn, and it's strictly for professional use. Mm-hmm. I have been. A, I mean, I've been a total. Um, uh, non-engager when it comes to to social media, um, but so when was MySpace big? Was it 10 years ago? MySpace, MySpace was big. Um, let's see, I got to high school and probably I was my freshman year of high school was 2005, 2006. I always say both years because that's how they count the basketball seasons, right? <laughs> uh, so 2005, 2006 was my freshman year and MySpace had gotten pretty big around that time. Okay, all right. By 2009, so- by the time, and, and then Facebook came back and it used to be that you had to have a college email from Uh from all of the participating colleges to actually get on Facebook. So that was the, that was what had slowed the Facebook growth down, right? Right. The Facebook growth had actually been tampered by the fact that you couldn't get on without this college Mm -hmm. 
email. Because mm-hmm. I remember having a MySpace and there were people who were on Facebook, but they were all my college friends. And I was like, yeah. you know, I, I can't get on there unless I use one of their <laughs> emails. And it was all that type of thing going on. So, um, but yeah, MySpace got big and then it kind of died as soon as they opened right. the gateway for Facebook to everybody. Right. So, but my point in, in, and I guess trying to look back historically at timeline here, I would say in a decade, yep. it, it, our, this, the, our entire the, the entire human race in one decade has been changed. Yep. Right. Like you said, the, the, the growth curve on this is crazy. Unbelievable. It yeah. should, it should keep people up at night, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it really should. The, the, and, and don't get me wrong. I love that people within a click of a button could talk to somebody in a completely different country in real time and share ideas mm-hmm. and all that's great. Um, but, but with every, uh, with every action comes a reaction and, mm-hmm. and what, I guess what the, what I'm trying to say around the brilliance of a Christianity or any higher value, faith, moral, uh, structure is not to say that we should abandon science. It's mm-hmm. to say that if you don't have the highest, the highest possible moral clarity, then mm-hmm. science is doomed to become a weapon and a, a weapon of corruption. Right. And that could even be said about the Catholic Church itself. And, and I'm a Catholic, but the Catholic mm-hmm. Church has some real heresy around this, their own dealings with the scientific method. Sure. So, you know, I think that's that's what we're looking at. And it should keep people up at night because 10 years is a short amount of time to go from being a society um, that, that was already struggling with radical materialism, that was already struggling with a lack of faith right. and a, a lack of humanity and and things of that nature. And then it just put it on, you know, it, it put it on steroids, no doubt. Yeah. It's, it's really scary. So tell me what you're doing now. <laughs> well, I am, uh, on the, on the verge of starting my own podcast. So that's good. I'll be entering All the right. podcast world. Um, I like we're, it. We're, we're, we're finishing up a studio here, uh, not in this, this space, but you know, down the hallway in this office building, um, uh-huh. So we're fin- putting the finishing touches on a studio. So that should be something that's a central part of my life going forward uh, to be able to, to talk to, you know, talk to the masses as much as I possibly can. Um, also, I have a, another MMA fight coming up in January, another pro MMA yeah. fight, considering taking a pro boxing fight, too, because I, I really like boxing and I, I'm, I'm showing to have a little bit of a, an aptitude and skill in boxing as well. Um, uh-huh. And and the uh, the big three will be coming back around next next summer it always comes back around faster than you expect Um, and in the meantime you know my work with the unity project i'm looking forward to to diving into more and also um, obviously the midterm elections are going to have huge implications and and we want to try and rally rally people to vote america i'm not telling you to vote republican or democrat I'm telling you to vote for your American citizenship. And, and I hope that mm-hmm. I can uh, continue to, to have a influence there as well. So those are the focuses for now. Do you think you'll run for elected office in the future? Oh, yeah. To the day I die. These people will never see that they're, they're, to, to, to <laughs> finish. I don't know how much time you got, but that's one of the scams, too. Right. Is like the 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 prevalence of self-doubt mm-hmm. and the fear of failure and the fear of the perception of one who has failed. And that's mm-hmm. why you see a lot of these people who run for office when they lose, they can't bear it. Right. They, they, they can't bear mm-hmm. losing. And so they never run again. And they're mm-hmm. told by the middlemen and the handlers and the donors, right? They're right. told those 85 percenters, those 85 percenters. <laughs> yeah. They're told, Hey, 
you lost, you, you know, you shot all your political capital. We could never run you again. Well, I don't have any of those backers and I don't have any of those people who, uh, who, who advise or, or, uh, you know, who tell me what to do. You don't strike me as someone who would listen to it. So, yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm just going to keep running. You know, it's to me, I'm trying to provide the opportunity for, um, people in my community, but, but hopefully on the statewide level, next election cycle, um, to vote for their own citizenship. And, and here's the reality, Laura, as much as you and I and the work that the Unity Project does and the work that many, many good organizations do around this country and around the world, the decision, the referendum is on the people, the people, right. the American citizens and the free mm-hmm. people of the world. The referendum is on you. The government has not gotten this way by their own corruption. The government's, the government's dishonesty is a reflection of our willingness to accept it. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and our willingness to really move away from any form of understanding of how this country was, was founded and what makes this country amazing and, and how this country operates. If you go out and you ask the, the average person, um, I believe if you go out and you ask the average person, how many States there are, they would, people would probably struggle to answer that question, let alone understand the political process and what their responsibility is as a citizen. Because I I really do believe it's our responsibility. Every one of us that has the privilege of being um, a citizen of the United States of America, we have a a responsibility. And the average person is just, you know, you you touched on it and we should probably go back to it. But but this this a complacency because they're very comfortable yeah. and, um, and they, and because of that, people have moved away from, from any, any thought of what is my responsibility, because that might include getting a little uncomfortable. Well, we, we are victim. Our society is, is become a victim of two very distinct problems. Um, we have traded our freedom, the freedom we were intended to have as American citizenships that our founding fathers, although flawed, were very brilliant in their insight and intuition towards the concept of American freedom. Everybody goes back and goes, well, George Washington had slaves. There's a difference between ideas and the application thereof. And right. you know that's one of the first philosophical snafus that people fall into when they mm-hmm. listen to these communist Marxist mainstream media organizations. Right. But, but in that concept of freedom, the American freedom we're supposed to have, uh, it's, 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 fallen victim to two very distinct problems um our desire for freedom and and our love for radical materialism we've traded our our freedom for security and 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 materialism um and and the security you could say is is the bait and the and the Mm -hmm. material i mean uh, the security yeah the security is the bait and the and the the materialism is the hook um so you know they get you they get you feeling as though the only way you can be safe the only way you can live and, and, and continue to prosper as an individual is if the government protects you. That's you right. know, our, our government, our security state, our Department of Defense, the CIA, the NSA, the DOD, uh, uh, the FBI, uh, now Police. the IRS, the 87,000 right. IRS agents, they're all there to protect you, right? right? They're wow, there to make sure. Sure. Right. We've seen recently what kind of protection that they're, that the FBI is willing to give as they're beating down the doors of people right. that, um, that right. are, are being just a cog in this, in this weapon that's being created. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating, right? Like, you know, not only are, 
are are these being weaponized? But you heard Biden say it in himself uh, that if if the American people, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but yeah. if the American people aren't aren't willing to to go along and 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 support this, and if if anyone were to, um, God forbid, get the idea in their mind that they themselves are are part of the the government because right, it's a government of we the people then President Biden has F-16s. I think it was F-16s or F-15s. I'm not yep. sure. Can't remember. But but yep. that statement in and of itself, to me, was probably singularly one of the most terrifying statements I have ever heard an elected official, let alone a sitting president of the United States, say. 100%. He dire- directly threatened the people 100%. of this country. 100%. He, he basically, he put the cap on a 60-year uh, 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 runway to erode what it means to be an American citizen and the and the safety and protection therein. And, and the message was clear. The message was, if you think your Second Amendment is what keeps your freedoms, uh, right. you're wrong. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, your 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 rifles, your hunting rifles will will um, pale in comparison to our F-16s mm-hmm. uh, as the government. And we are above you. We are mm-hmm. above you. And if you step out of line, we are not we are not beyond the idea of using those F-16s to secure our own power. Um, right. And people, you know, they let it go. And, you know, mostly because they're getting high. And, and, and secondarily, and this is why I said it, it's not even because they're getting high. They are getting high. And it's easy to let things go when you get high. That's number one. But they're letting it go because they would much rather have a corrupt tyrant be their protector than have to secure their own freedom. That's right. And that's how it always goes is, oh, well, I'll take a corrupt king as long Mm -hmm. as I as long as his as long as his power and his corruption and his control over the thing allows me to sit at home and get high and jerk off. Then I don't care how corrupt he is. I have at it (laughs) because they're comfortable. Right. And, 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 you know, someone said to me um, and and, and it's a famous statement, but someone, you know, to the effect of um, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. No doubt. And we have lost that idea. And I just, in that moment, um, I, I just was thinking, you know, I wonder how this must have been a little bit how the, the founding fathers felt um, when the, the government of England at the time yep. was, you know, being uh, authoritative over them. Yep. So it's all fascinating. Um, I don't know. We're going to see where this, where this all ends up, but Here's- I do feel inspired. Here's the most, here's the scariest one for me. The scariest one I saw was when the new replacement for um, Saki, uh, oh, the gosh. young, the young, the young black woman who is uh, now the uh, the press secretary for the White House, mm-hmm. got up before the American people as a as a black woman and said, "If you are not in alignment with the majority of thinking in this country." Then yeah, we consider that to be extreme. <laughs> so, and this this is this is how cross and incongruent it gets, and this is all people have to look at to understand that the time is long past for them to step up and, and get involved. So all minorities are extreme; they're extremists. That's right. But the LGBTQ isn't right. Of course not. Of if course you have not. a if you have a thought or a belief about gender theory or or sexual preference or sexual politics that's in the minority, which it is. I mean, the LGBTQ movement and their their ideologies about science and just the physical real world is a minority belief. Um, 
then you would be considered an extremist, but not to them. It's, it's right. rules and thoughts and ideas by our own application yeah. and nothing else. Make it up as we go. Right. Well, I mean, look, in the state of California, because I believe that a child should not be genitally mutilated yeah. at the age of eight, 10, yeah. 15, uh, I am considered by the definition of the federal government, I am now considered someone who's radical. An extremist. Because, right, yep. right. Yep. And, uh, but, I, but I am inspired though. I do think we're starting to see um, movements toward people waking up and, and getting more involved and realizing that they can't sit on the sidelines. And so I am inspired. I do think that the pendulum is starting to, to move in the opposite direction. Do well, you feel inspired sometimes? Well, listen, we, we should, we, we should, we should be reasonable in managing our expectations, uh, as, mm -hmm. as freedom fighters. We don't need everybody. We don't need everybody. <laughs> That's right. We need, we need a, 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 a brave few and a brave few. Right. They want you to believe that you, they have weaponized the idea of democracy and the right. result of a, of a consensus, a consensus right. or a manufactured consent as being the, the standard bearer or for, for societal change and movement. That's mm -hmm. not, that's not reality. That's never been reality. That's a scam that they're running to maintain power. A brave few people always has a, 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 a dying shot at, at doing good. And that's, what, that's where our, our expectations need to, need to lay. All we need to do is keep waking up as many as possible and those people show up to the fight every day and, and everything else will take care of itself. And in, 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 in the event that you die before you see what you wanted done, then you should feel so lucky. I mean, we should be so lucky as to, to meet a, a righteous, untimely death like that. Well, you know, that's such a good point um, about not needing everyone. I, and, and of course they, they want, you say they, the, the, uh, the people that are pushing this agenda, um, they want you to feel like you're isolated, right? We just, we talked about that. It's, it's actually one of their tactics. It's in their playbook. Um, but if you look to your point, historically at historical events, across time and probably most most recently and one of the most famous one is the American Revolution and I think people believe that everyone was involved in the American Revolution who lived in the United States of America at that time right well, as the country was forming and I heard I, I read a, a, a book and I and I was listening to um, a speech that less than 10 percent of the population, at that time was actually involved in the American revolution. Right. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always, it's always a brave few, you, you know, mm -hmm. we, 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 in the social media and the look at me generation, we've been, we've been conditioned to believe that. And even let's, let's just say after world war two, right. After, mm -hmm. again, to go back to the beginning, this whole post post world war two democratic liberal order is made to convey one message. If you don't have the overwhelming uh, support of a, of a democratic consensus, you're an extremist and there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do to, to have any governance or any control over your life and certainly not the institutions that preside over it. Um, and that's just fundamentally not true. Not only is it not only is it corrupt, it's a lie. Um, right. And, and the, what America was founded on or what what people think, I mean, mean, I think when when they say make America great again was the cultural value 
of the rugged individualist, right? Mm -hmm. The cultural value of a man having everything he needs on his tool belt, right? On, mm -hmm. on his belt. And, and that, that has nothing to do with race. That's not a connotation about going back to a time when race mm -hmm. relations were more openly uh, unfair and unpleasant or mm -hmm. going back to right. slavery. Uh, that's, that's just a gimmick. No, there was a time in this country briefly after the Civil Rights Act, you know, in the 70s before Nixon, uh, who is the sine qua non of globalist uniparty shields and Kissinger, mm -hmm. before they got into office and did their great new deal with China. Um, there was a time right in there for about 10 years where the race the race feud had died somewhat. It had dissipated. There was a unity. You could mm -hmm. see that in the music that came out of the 70s, right? And that yeah. sort of disco slash hippie generation where people were like, the music was really conveying that the, that the, the ideas about um, race had changed. Mm -hmm. um, but we were still the head of the manufacturing world. That's right. There was a moment right in there where racial unity had come to a, a head for American right. history. And we were the manufacturing uh, uh, powerhouse in the world. Right. And right as it started to happen, they took the manufacturing out and they mm -hmm. let the people go back on to dissipate it back into, into racial feud. And it wasn't by accident. Right. Well, and I like what you were just saying too about like the value in masculinity. And I think in society today, it, look, we hear about toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, there's the feminization of men and I think that is so dangerous in a society. There's absolutely value and celebration in strong, good men. And uh, I know we've worked with Matt Boudreau, who uh, works with Tim Kennedy, yeah. and they have uh, an organization called Apogee, and it's all about mentoring men and, and, and mentoring them into being good fathers yeah. and just and just good men. And I think uh, we, it's a really, really dangerous uh, slippery slope when you start um, tearing down men in society just for being men. Again, it it goes back to this crisis of faith, and and I and I don't mean to beat people over the head with the Bible. I'm not a Bible thumper by any means. I was uh, born and raised a Catholic on both sides of my family, both sides being my my black uh, heritage and my Mexican heritage, and and actually my my uh, my Norwegian family were were Christians as well. So I'm, I'm but I'm not trying to beat people over here with the Bible, but people have to understand that um, the natural order, the concept of the natural order in Christian faith is one that 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 lays out the as a as a blueprint for the role between men, women and, and the overall collective mm -hmm. family and in that relationship to God. And so, you know, it's not by accident that the communists were anti-God and it's mm -hmm. not by accident that the communists and the Marxists always go after women as a, as a, uh, as a, as a, you know, kickstop or let's say a kickstart um, mm -hmm. for revolution to say, Hey, you women don't have it fair. It's not fair for you guys. This isn't equal. Mm -hmm. And, and then there's this delineation of other identity politic groups that come under the banner and the hedge of women versus men. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, that 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 has be, been prevalent throughout all of the Marxist communist revolutions in history and mm -hmm. it's just as prevalent today. And the war on men is as prevalent as it's ever been. The real uh, sad part and um, concerning issue for me as a man looking out is there's always other men that aid and abetted. And it's so I corrupt. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. guys, 
have some dignity, have some self-respect. <laughs> you guys are only going along with this communist Marxist stuff so you can get laid. And that, I mean, that is, no, honestly. And, you know, as a man, it's like, have some, have some pride, right? Right. I mean, you already well, get the, you already, the, they've made porno so prevalent that right. you already get to jerk off for free, okay? You don't have to go and, and put yourself way out over your own skis to be, to be right. sucking up to some corrupt feminist movement uh, j- just to get laid and to have that companionship. Mm-hmm. That's where, right. that's the original Adam and Eve story. And that's where faith becomes so important because even between man and woman, the, the fundamentals of being human back to the mm-hmm. start, you still have to have a relationship to a higher, a higher value and power or the person mm-hmm. next to you will corrupt you. And that could be mm-hmm. men corrupted women or women corrupted men both ways. Mm-hmm. But right now the communist, communist movement and the Marxist movement are, are hedging their bets that they can destabilize a, a powerful and strong America by saying that we're just not women friendly. And it's like, this whole thing was built for white women. I don't even understand the claim. Well, as as a white woman, I can tell you that there has never in human history been a civilization that is more opportunity giving uh, and supportive of women than the United States of America present day. Now it's changing. That's the other thing, right? People don't realize that a lot of what's happening, whether it's the transgender movement, the, the gender yeah. ideologies, that's actually changing. And, and you're seeing some harm come to the, you know, to women. Um, but major, major. Yeah. But look at, I mean, look at all the, they're not, and they're not being shy about it. Look at, mm-hmm. look at the fourth, the whole, the whole idea with the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset mm-hmm. um, is this, you know, this open admission uh, that automation is the way of the future. And when you look at the American workforce and you go, well, where do, where, where are a lot of the women's jobs going to fall by the wayside? It's mm-hmm. all of the, it, it's, it's uh, store clerks, mm-hmm. right? I was in a target this morning buying a laundry bin. And there was a, there was a, a woman who had to be about 65 years old, who seemed like she need, you know, she had a, a little bit of a disability working mm-hmm. right there as a store clerk, Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. and those guys, they want to take every single store clerk out of the, out of the stores. Right. Out of the grocery stores, out of the retail stores. Mm -hmm. So you got you got store clerks, you got administrators, right? Mm -hmm. You got um, uh, judicial judicial clerks, which women Mm -hmm. occupy a lot of. Um, You you have uh, I mean, there's just a number of jobs Mm -hmm. that they're openly saying we're taking those jobs away from women, and women aren't even standing up to say stop. No, what's happening is you have women that are standing up to say that. A, a, a biological male should who who now um, feels as though they are a woman should be able to compete against a, a biological woman in a sport. You're a professional athlete. Yeah. Um, can you imagine MMA. having right MMA there, too? I mean, just the the, the most dangerous mm-hmm. sports too. I mean, it's just it's just unfair from a fundamental standpoint and, and look, you look at tennis, uh, you know, look what Serena, even, you know, us athletes, we, we can admit the truth and the difference and separation between men and women, because most of us grew up at some time playing or competing against one another. And then you got to a certain (laughs) age where it's like, why would we even do it anymore? It's, it's not, there's no, there's no fun to it. There's no competition. You you would only do it in a setting that's meant to be informal, right? It's meant to be casual. Like I go to the, the, the court and shoot horse with my sister, but we're not mm-hmm. going to play a full fledged game of physical one-on-one because right. it's, it's ridiculous. And so, 
you know, us athletes uh, usually can admit that, but, but even us athletes have been gagged and hogtied and, and mm -hmm. forced into this, this cultural narrative and dogma um, about, right. about um, you know, this whole transgender and, and gender theory. Right. Um, and, you know, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous to allow a man to swim with women and to take wow. the opportunity for those women, all the work they put right. in over their whole life. Well, I mean, if I just man? went to the WNBA, if I, if I decided today to become a woman and go mm -hmm. into the WNBA or any, let's say I became a female volleyball player, you know, I would be taking a spot away from a woman. Um, right. So I don't, I don't get how that benefits women. I just don't understand. Well, what about the, the violent, um, fight, right? What there was that MMA, then it was a biological male fighting against a biological woman. And he cracked her and head. He cracked her that's skull. Right. Yeah. That's cracked right. her skull. Right. I mean, that for people who don't realize, cause they don't watch MMA or they think it's too brutal or whatever. Um, yeah. People get their face plate broken. Some, you know, that, that happens. Eye socket fractured. Most of the fights that doesn't happen, but people break bones, but people don't get their skull broken. Okay. Right. This guy literally fractured the strong part of her cranium. Mm -hmm. um, that's and that's what happens when a man with a man frame uh, mm -hmm. comes down with the brute force on a, on a skeletal structure that doesn't have the same build. Um, right. and, and men were never supposed to fight women, uh, biologically mm -hmm. speaking. And that's why even in the old days, you know, for most, the, for most, the, for, the, for the most part, when one army came in and subjugated another army, they took the women as slaves, the women and children, except the real bar. But right. my, my forebears, the Norwegians, the Vikings, the Danes, and the, <laughs> the, the, you know, these people were straight savages. They come in and kill anybody unfit to work. Um, but, but for the most part, civilized societies, you know, took the women and, and children as slaves because there's no honor in killing a, a being that's, that's vulnerable. And we've lost that right. too, right? The, right. The, and it's what you see with the vaccine and the COVID narrative. Uh, it's no, and really it's what you see with the abortion narrative. I know that's the touchy topic, mm -hmm. but the abortion was the predicate for the child vaccination. The that's abortion right. was to say, Hey, you're not alive if you're in the womb. And now it's like, mm -hmm. well, are you really alive if you're five years old? And pretty soon it's going to be, are you alive if you're 75? And then they're openly right. saying, Hey, you should be able to, you should be able to uh, euthanize an, uh, an elder. Well, I mean, listen, what is it? Two, 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 three in California. I think, you know, um, I'm looking at, at Lynn here cause she's our producer. I think it's two, 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 three. That says that it's 30 days after birth. Is that right? Uh, 28 days after birth. I mean, yeah. I, an autonomous human being I've got, I've got some thoughts, but that's for, for a different time, a different podcast, but, um, you know, part it's two. part two, that's right. Yeah. But, and, and, I've had so much fun today and this conversation has just taken so many, uh, so many topics on. And I, I am so thrilled with, with you as a person, Thank the you. work that you're doing. Uh, well, let's end by saying, first of all, how can people follow the work that you're doing and, yeah. and support you? Well, I'm on every social media platform for now. I'm a, I'm a storm the castle type of crazy. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I just, I just recently signed on to TikTok and was talking about the CCP and, and stuff on there. So, um, you know, I'm on oh every my gosh. social part two, we're going to talk about the CCP then. Yeah. Oh yeah. That needs its own episode, but yeah. I, so I'm on every social media. Um, and you know, that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, TikTok, Getter, uh, true social I'm on LinkedIn still. Um, and until they kick me off. Um, I'm on YouTube and my podcast will be on YouTube shortly. So if you stay in touch with my social media, you'll start to see 
um, that the advertisements for my podcast pop up there. Um, and I'm also on Substack. I spent a lot of time writing a, a number of very, uh, very lengthy pieces, in-depth pieces about a number of these cultural issues and, and uh, you know, a long written format on, on format on Substack and it's completely free for people to read. So. So, and what we'll do is link your Substack on our website. So people can also access it there. And when you get your podcast up and going, we will, we'll link it on our website as well. We want to uh, make sure that we highlight the work that you're doing. I just think that you're a really amazing individual. And um, I would say for everyone as well, go, go look up his fights. I'll be cheering you on. Thank I think it's fantastic. So I got to have you for, on my podcast when we, when we I, get up and I'm running. ready. I'm yeah, ready. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Lord. Godspeed. From all of us at The Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that The Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.